Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Ripon, whose decision to turn right instead of left outside of a London tube station may well have saved his life. I came out of Highbury and Islington Station. I just finished a one and a half hour class of Muay Thai boxing. And any other day after training, I would turn left to go home. I have no memory of this, so I can only speculate. I think I wasn't feeling very well. And I turned right because it's a high street. So if you turn right, there's more people down. I just walked down there thinking someone can help me. Someone needs to help me. So you sense that you might have been about to collapse? Yeah. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Bill Snadden. And on the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Ripon tells me about his path to recovery after a near-fatal cardiac arrest. Okay, so you turn right, so you're around a crowd of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what uh, happens next? I have collapsed by the roundabout near Hibernesington Station on uh, Upper Street and uh, a off-duty GP and a and a police officer see me start to I guess do CPR on me and realize that my heart has actually stopped one of them then went to grab a defibrillator from Hibernesington station came back with a defibrillator and started to use it on me and well essentially brought me back to life because I was technically dead at that point. From that point what have you been told happens? I was rushed to hospital put in an induced coma for three or four days they put the stent through a tube through my wrist um, so they didn't have to really cut open my chest or anything like that. Mm. They put these two stents in and then they had to keep my vitals low, hence why they had to put me in an induced coma. My family, my girlfriend, Fiona, um, friends, they were all told that, you know, they don't know or they didn't know how long my brain didn't have oxygen for. So when they took me out of the coma, they weren't sure what kind of state I would be in, whether, you know, I could have had a paralysis down parts of my body, could have ended up with speech impediment, could have, you know, ended up basically in a vegetated state Mm. and actually might not have woken up full stop. Mm. Yeah. And it was a blood clot that you've been told. Yeah, it was a, a blood clot. Ripon, going back uh, to that scene outside Highbury and Islington Station yeah. when you've got members of the public doing CPR and rushing to get a defibrillator, you mentioned to me that um, you think you might have sent a message to your girlfriend Fiona as you were leaving the station, but you don't yeah. remember sending that. Can you tell me about Fiona's involvement? Fiona's involvement in it is the fact that, you know, I sent her a text saying, I'm in trouble or um, something along the lines of um, emergency, call me now. 
I'm guessing it must have been when I came out of the station, okay. um, just because of signalling mm. uh, reason. So um, I'm guessing that it must have come out of the station, sent the text, and then, uh, and then you know uh, the event happened. And then she ran out of our house, bumped into two paramedics that were, <laughs> that were buying uh, a curry, hmm. and um, basically said to them, "Like, look, my." My boyfriend's collapsed outside of Hibernington Station. Um, can you get to him? And they went like, yeah, we'll go there now. So they got to me before the ambulance that was called on the spot. And then I guess you're um, worked on with the CPR and the DFib, and then the ambulance arrives and you're taken to hospital um, yeah. where you're in an induced coma for several days. What do you remember when you woke up? This is all a bit hazy, but what I re- what I can remember is just seeing members of my family, seeing Fa- Fiona, seeing seeing my friends, and just looking at them and them talking, and maybe even talking to me, and maybe I was talking to them back. But when I finished conversations with people, I would always turn to Fiona and ask her what's going on my assumption was at the time okay my mum's here she has type 2 diabetes maybe it's gotten really bad I'm here visiting her in hospital and the shock has made me forget things or I'd look at one of my friends and think well you know he doesn't really look after himself maybe I'm here visiting him (laughs) Um, the shock has made me forget everything and you know, that's why everyone else is here. And then every time I would ask uh, Fiona, well, what's going on? And she'd tell me like, yeah, you've had a, a, a cardiac arrest. They've put two stents in your heart and uh, you've been in induced coma. You've just woken up. And um, each time that she told me it, I think I just used to pass out. When I eventually settled and was able to take the information, that's when it started to hit home Um, but again I had so many questions and it just didn't really make any sense because of my lifestyle beforehand you know I was I basically lived in the gym Mm, you were fit and healthy 37 year old yeah I, I went to the gym pretty much six days a week my my diet was really good it was a porridge for breakfast uh, a bagel with peanut butter for lunch and then something usually vegetarian or pescatarian in the you know for dinner at what point did it hit home and what was that moment like the point where it really hit home was you know leading up to all of this when the doctors you know they they check you out and they ask you questions about your health and what you should do and what not you know they they're giving me booklets about what to eat they asked me what my diet was i told them and they literally just went you don't need this booklet because your diet is actually better than what this booklet is (laughs) um uh, suggesting to you and you know they they, they're telling me oh yeah you know be careful when you go back home to walk maybe three minutes and build it up by a minute a day now bear in mind i've lost you know, after coming out of the coma and by the time I left hospital, I think it was uh, about nine days. But 
those nine days leading up to you know me leaving were a complete blur mm. and um I, I still don't really have much memory of it my last memory is of sunday uh you know a, a week ago or a sunday about um 10 days ago mm. and uh at that point of the sunday when i went to sleep i was in the height of my fitness so when they were telling me you can only walk three minutes and build up by one minute i just thought listen this this is probably the standard of when people have heart attacks or cardiac arrests and you know most of these people are probably either you know overweight or have underlying heart issues or uh you know haven't been looking after themselves i've been looking after myself hmm. these rules don't apply to me um i'll show i'll show you you know that you're saying three minutes of walking i'll be doing a 10k the, the day i get out of here and what happened when you first tried to do some exercise I, I got home i walked up one flight of stairs to use the toilet and um i was completely out of breath i mean that was humbling but i was still trying to convince myself that yeah it's probably all the drugs that are in my system right now because i've just come out of an induced coma i just need to I just need to wait for all of this to kind of get out of my system and then I'll be okay. I walked downstairs. I didn't say anything to Fiona. I didn't say anything to her parents. I thought I don't want them to worry. Otherwise, they're going to stop me from running my 10K. Next day, walked three minutes to the park. Had to take a seat on a park bench for about a minute. Got up, walked three minutes back and passed out for maybe about eight or nine hours. But you you were just completely exhausted from that short completely, walk. Completely, completely. You know, it it was a three minute walk. It could have been for me like a twenty kilometer um, run. Okay. Or or, okay. or 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 more. It probably like a marathon. Like you know, it would have been something along those lines. Hmm. My body was totally destroyed. The following day, again, I I just refused to accept it. Following day, I thought, okay, that was just uh, my body just trying to get used to it again. You know, I've been in hospital for about 10 days, not seen any sunlight or anything. It's probably my body just trying to adjust. Let me try this again. Walked again. I think I managed maybe four minutes. Had to have a rest at the park again. Got up, walked four minutes back, passed out for like 10 hours. When I woke up from that, um, that's when it hit home. Ripon, I understand that the cardiac arrest brought you back into contact with your dad. Yeah. Are you able to tell me about that? Yeah. My father and I had an absolutely terrible relationship prior to my cardiac arrest. Uh, it was awful. We barely spoke to each other. It must have been coming up to, I think, like five or five or six years, I would say. and. You know, when I when I saw him at the hospital, that was a another moment where I thought, okay, clearly something bad has happened because the fact that my dad is in hospital visiting me is a pretty big deal. So I guess that, yeah, that definitely hit home mm. as well. When when I when he was speaking to me. I just kept on saying to him that, listen, dad, 
my daughter Saffron, she was four years old at the time, and my my relationship with my with my father was so bad that he hadn't even seen her. Uh, mm. You know, th- that's how bad it was. Mm. Did he know that you had a daughter? Yeah, he knew I had a daughter, mm-hmm. um, but he never met her. He, he'd never met her. I didn't feel the need to tell him, and he didn't feel the need to ask me. Um, that's how it was. Hmm. But, you know, you wake up from an event like that and, you know, he just kept on saying to me, are you okay, son? What's happened, son? And um, I must have known at that point that something bad had happened to me. But I just kept on saying to him, like, Dad, listen, this is really important. I have a daughter, Saffron, and she is constantly asking about you. And I never know what to say. And I don't know whether I'm going to live through this or not, but you know, you need to, you need to meet her. And if I don't make it, you have to make sure that um, she's provided for. And he, he just kept on saying, "Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, son, of course, son. Um, don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. She's going to be okay. I'm going to go meet her right now." And I think at that point I must have um, uh, passed out, but. He then said to my family, look, I want to see my uh, granddaughter right now. And uh, yeah, he yeah, he uh, got my sister to contact uh, Saffron's mum. And yeah, they organised a meeting. And uh, yeah, they all met up. Hmm. Uh, and you're in hospital uh, through all this? I, I'm in hospital throughout all of this. Hmm. Um, they they met up and um, you know they had a great time and it was really amazing. I mean it um, it was such a an important moment for my daughter Saffron. I mean to the point where if you ask her what she wants to be when she grows up, she'll say I want to own a restaurant just like my granddad because hmm. my dad my dad has a uh, an Indian restaurant and hmm. um, such was the pivotal moment when he, uh, she met my dad that now she wants to own a restaurant just like him hmm. and how's your relationship like with your dad now yeah it's i mean you know things is a bit difficult because of with the pandemic and lockdown and hmm. things uh he went to uh, bangladesh on a holiday i think february before the first lockdown in march mm-hmm. of 2020 and he's been stuck there ever since. <laughs> okay. He's been stuck there ever since, yeah. Right. Um, Your parents, they're both Bangladeshi? Yeah, they are, yeah. Okay. Well, my, my dad's uh, part Italian, uh, Swedish and Bangladeshi, and my mum's uh, Bangladeshi, yeah. Okay. And what about your mum? How did she manage with your cardiac arrest? Uh, she found it really difficult. You know, I'm, I'm her firstborn. <laughs> And I think it's always uh, tough for mums and children. But I think, you know, when you're the firstborn, I think it hits home probably harder. But I don't know, maybe it's just to do, something to do with my mum. My, my mum uh, and I have a really, really strong relationship. Um, mm. We have a really, really good relationship. Like I, for as, for as bad as the relationship it was with my dad prior to my cardiac arrest, my relationship with my mum was as good if, mm. if that is that polar yeah, opposite sure and when you're recovering from your cardiac arrest um 
How's your mum doing? Oh, she she was crying every day. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it got to the point where I had to say to my mum, like, mum, I'll, I'll call you every day. <laughs> but like, if you keep on crying like this, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I understand that it's uh, difficult, but I promise you I'm okay. It was I getting a bit much. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know. And she um, eventually came round and... Was yeah, right. she came, she she came round and um she's she's p- perfectly fine now, yeah. <laughs> okay. She was expressing her love for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Ripon, what was it like getting back into work after the cardiac arrest? How long did the recovery take and then tell me about those first few days and weeks back into the job? Oh, the the recovery is really the recovery was really tough. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean on paper the things I do now uh, might seem to people that oh yeah he's obviously recovered and he's back to normal he's running you know run like what three ten kilometer runs per week if not more I do loads of calisthenics like training my diet is impeccable mm. um, with all of your training ripping on the exercise yeah. you've got um, medical clearance from doctors yeah I've got I've got medical this. clearance yeah okay. So imagine this, I've come out of hospital, um, they've told me, <laughs> walk three minutes and build it up by one minute. I've decided like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to anything that the doctors say and take matters into my own hands. <laughs> and I'm going to try and like, you know, show them that they're wrong. But I was the one who was wrong here because it was quite evident that they were right. And, you know, my body had um, sustained serious damage. So what is your what is your message to others who might be going through something similar to you? Listen to your doctor and uh, listen to the specialists and just slowly, just be patient. Mm. Just be patient. You do have to swallow the pride. And trust me, like I, I was, I was training so hard beforehand, so it was really difficult for me to swallow that pill. Like really difficult. Um, I went to because because the event had happened on an in November. By the time I met up with somebody from the cardiac rehabilitation, it was around December time. So we're talking, you know, we're going into Christmas. So I didn't have any a place in the cardiac rehabilitation scheme until I think it was mid January. It was almost two months where I had no idea if I would be able to do any of the activities that I was used to doing, not not just in the foreseeable future, but possibly ever again. Hmm. We've put two stents in to open up the artery. But what caused it? We, we don't know. Does he, you know, suffer from arrhythmia? Um, was that what caused it? The stents hmm. were going to work, but it's just after the stents work, it might appear that he has arrhythmia or mm-hmm. he has an underlying heart issue, in which case, you know, we might have to implant um, an ICD. Mm-hmm. If anyone at home likes so, um, uh, implantable cardioverter defibrillator. Very good, Ripon. Um, <laughs> people can fact check that on the BHF website. Yeah, yeah. BHF.org.uk. Um, have specialists diagnosed any underlying conditions since? No, okay. no, nothing. Nothing. Um, it was just uh, just one of those things. Okay. Um, so two stents were put in and you, you yeah. didn't need the ICD? After two months, I they said like, yeah, you're all good. You can slowly, slowly start to rebuild your 
your fitness and that's when i started um uh, cardiac rehabilitation okay and yeah. tell me about getting back to work yeah getting but sorry i, I went off track there <laughs> but yeah right. get, getting uh getting back to work again i personally I, I looking back now i went back to work too early my work were really really kind of supportive they said like look you can come back when you're ready mm. But in my head, I just kept on thinking to myself, like, yeah, things, I want everything to go back to normal, but things aren't going to go back to normal until things go back to normal. So I want to go back to work because that is my normality. What were you doing? Uh, I, I was an estate agent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what were those first few days like when you were back on the job? Uh, I, you know, I was happy to be back. Obviously, you, you bump into... Uh, <laughs> or everyone the staff they're all asking questions about oh how are you doing like what do you remember anything did you see anything when you died you know the the the, the classic questions did uh, you say anything when you when i didn't your heart had I, I i didn't i i have absolutely no memory okay okay uh, well we can stop the podcast yeah. now rip on <laughs> we've asked the big question yeah uh, no so yeah so those first few days how was it and and you were an estate agent so you were walking around, going up and down stairs. Tell me about that side of things. Yeah, I mean, it was tough because, you know, obviously you have to drive a car. I wanted everything to go back to normal and um, not have anybody treat me any differently from before my cardiac arrest. So, you know, usually I might have driven the car to get to one viewing to the other and I chose to walk instead. I thought, okay, um, I, I was afraid. Hmm what if I have a heart attack in the car and I cause an accident and I put other people at risk well, as well as my own life and that scared me so I was quite hesitant to start driving my car walking up steps you know speaking to people everyone always has that you know, they're walking up steps and it's always the last few steps that people struggle with and they get out of breath and whatnot. And maybe I used to be like that as well, but I never really focused on that. Mm. It was just steps. But now when I was walking up steps and getting out of breath, I went into a panic. Um, my heart's beating. I'm out of breath. That used to panic me mm. a lot. Yeah. How was your mental health around this period? It was up and down. It, it really was up and down. I think for my partner, Fiona, it was probably the most difficult to witness because you know, she was around me all the time. You know, and she was just so supportive all the way through it. But it must have been really difficult for her because, you know, there were, one, there were moments where I was totally elated and happy to be alive. Uh, there were moments where I was just so angry that this had all happened to me, like so angry because, you know, as far as I was concerned, I had done everything in my power for this kind of thing not to happen to me. Mm. I ate the right food. I was training. I was fit. I was healthy. Everything was right. So why has this happened to me? Then, you know, looking at the statistics for the survival rate, thinking, God, I'm so lucky. Mm, because that's um, only one in 10 people surviving out of hospital cardiac arrest. Yeah. And in the UK, there are over 30,000 out of hospital cardiac arrest every year. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to talk about the importance of CPR and having yeah. 
defibs around. But you were saying on your emotional health, when we spoke a little while ago, uh, Ripon, you said something to me which, which stood out. You said, I was having trouble seeing the future. I couldn't see past the day. And if I got through the day, then that was one extra day to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that statement still stands true even today. Mm. And, you know, it's it's been uh, just over two years uh, since my cardiac arrest. And that, that really hasn't uh, changed. And obviously, you can imagine for anybody who works or lives around you has to deal with you if they have a, a plan. And it's, uh, yeah, can you do this in two days' time? I, It's like my mind just goes blank. Mm. It really does. And, it, and, it's, and, you know, it's quite difficult to try and explain. It's not me trying to be, like, stubborn or pig-headed or anything like that. I, I literally have, like, a, a block of, okay, um, if it's not something that I can sort out <laughs> right this very instant, I, I find it really difficult to look, look forward to it. Yeah, hmm. really difficult. You also mentioned an out-of-body experience that you yeah. had in the office uh, not long after you'd returned. I was at my computer and was focusing on something and all of a sudden I felt as though my consciousness was in the corner of the room and it was looking back at me on my computer. So uh, imagine that what I was looking at or my perspective wasn't from where I was sat. My perspective was from behind me. But I was looking at myself, looking at the computer. Hmm. And it, it was, it was uh, really scary my consciousness from the corner was saying don't make any sudden movements whilst you're at your uh, computer if you do make any movements then the rest of the office is going to work out that you're not here right now and um, then eventually I kind of snapped out of it and uh, broke into cold sweats at my desk and uh, um, just went out for a walk Um, so that happened once then it happened a second time, same thing again, and then it happened a third time. And when it happened a third time, I uh, got in contact with my with the physiotherapist from my uh, cardiac rehab and said that, look, this is what I've I've been experiencing. Is there someone that can help me? And she put me in touch with uh, NHS uh, psychologist, and I um, had a few sessions at least I think five or six sessions with them, yeah, hmm. um, to help me deal with that. Were you able to make sense of these um, out-of-body experiences? No, <laughs> uh, not at all. Um, I can only tell you what the psychologist told me, which was, you know, they don't have enough research on people that have died, <laughs> um, technically died and then come back again. So they wouldn't be able to say whether this is a, you know what this is exactly but if you are finding it difficult to focus then you just need to use one of your five senses to try and bring you back um to the moment so for me 
it was I used to carry around uh, um, you know from Holland about like you know those bottle of um, lavender scented oils of lavender mm. or like uh, cedar oil or sandalwood or something like that I used to carry one of those in my pocket and then whenever I used to feel myself you know remove myself from my my body then I would just open the bottle take a smell of it of the lavender and then just bring myself back so you know using your five senses you can use smell you can use your sight so you look at a red ball or something Hmm. um you know you can use your touch so you can pinch yourself you know just something like that to just bring you back to the moment Hmm. does it still happen now um no no it hasn't happened but the last time it happened was i think after about uh a year since my cardiac arrest um i went back to uh training uh muay and um brazilian jiu-jitsu at the london fight factory and then i was doing a sparring session at muay and uh i just i had like this outer body experience where my mind had left my body and was watching me spar with this other person but it was but that was actually quite incredible because i could see where i was going wrong what that person was doing so i was actually doing really well hmm. <laughs> almost like a real life video game yeah yeah it was um so in in, in that respect i was really happy with it hmm. Hmm. yeah did you win that bout yeah i did <laughs> okay yeah, i did yeah so you're on the you're watching yourself fight someone else yeah do you have two sets of vision can you see through your own eyes and see through the eyes looking at you yeah both wow both yeah how how long did that last that lasted for well um the whole round until i actually uh so that was about maybe two or three minutes and then yeah i, I just uh snapped out of it okay <laughs> yeah. you're actually cheating ripon yeah 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 you had an unfair advantage you yeah operating with four eyes <laughs> yeah. um tell me about the first time you went back to the gym. I should just say, Ripon, that um, you did have uh, medical clearance before you went back yeah, into that gym. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about the first time you went back to the gym after your cardiac arrest. Oh, it was the it was one of the most uh, emotional moments. I went to the gym just to say hello, and every you know, you have these thoughts and feelings that oh you know when I go back no one's going to remember me <laughs> and I, I went back in and everybody just came up to me and hugged me and uh, yeah it was uh, really emotional but I held it together and then I was talking to Helen who works at the counter and uh, she said that you know after I'd had my when they heard about my cardiac arrest um, they purchased a, a defibrillator the next day because they said that you know one of our members has had this cardiac arrest and if it had happened in the gym we wouldn't have been able to save him because we didn't have one but we're going to make sure that 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 never like an opportunity like that if it came up that that wouldn't be the reason that they would have a defibrillator ready so they bought a defibrillator and i um yeah that really took me back i i left the gym 
went to the bus stop and just burst into tears um just because i couldn't believe that you know this place which i love so much and it was a kind of like my aim was always to just if i could just get back to the gym if i could just get back to london fight factory then it was almost like my my um my rehabilitation was complete mm. and you know you you still have thoughts that oh you know what if it's too dangerous for me but to know that they had a defibrillator like it really put my mind at rest then you know a few months later i am um, um actually physically started in the gym Ripon, you mentioned that uh, during those tough moments when you were getting back to work, you went to see a psychologist. Yeah. Were there other things that helped you during those moments when you were a bit confused and low? I read loads of books. I mean, I definitely recommend Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, another book called Resilience by, I think it's Eric Graytons. So David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. <laughs> Uh, this has turned into a yeah, turned into a book review. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These books, you know, I was reading through these books that, you know, more often than not, they were about people that had kind of triumphed over adversity. So th- th- that was helping. Mm. That was helping a lot. Does religion play a role, Ripon? Yeah, I mean, religion for me definitely played a role. Uh, role. Um, you know, I'm, I'm Muslim. I'd love to say that I pray five times a day <laughs> but that that's that's not the case i it's a really difficult one like um it's not that i've ever it's not that i've ever really questioned the existence of god and in terms of god the definition and all of that you know some people think of god as this bearded person and whatnot and i think like for any atheists or agnostics that's always a difficult one to kind of contend with you know, if you want to think of like a higher force, a higher power that you can't see, but you you know it's there, like that is my kind of uh, understanding of uh, God, Allah, mm. that it's not something that you can see, but you just know that it is there. It's a faith mm. um, thing. And you've told me in the past about mm. your acceptance of death. Yeah, yeah. I've always accepted death. Um, you know, and this is not to be bleak or anything. You know, I've always accepted life as uh, just a journey uh, on the way to death. So it might seem like a long journey, it might be a short journey, but it's a, a, essentially that is what life is. But as a Muslim, I believe that after I die, there's another life for me, like a, an afterlife, which is forever. So I've always accept, I've always accepted death, but mm. I think after. I guess technically, you know, my heart had stopped, so I was technically dead. Mm. I see, even though I'd, I've, I have accepted death, I am not in any hurry to <laughs> die. You again. want to stick around? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would like to make a difference. Mm. I think, you know, I've been given a second chance. And because of that, because of that second chance, you were able to have your second daughter. Yeah, able to have my uh, my daughter Isabella. So she was born pretty much a year to when I had my cardiac arrest. Yeah. You have your cardiac arrest and you also got engaged not long after that. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, 
uh, puts life into perspective. And uh, I just thought, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about uh, wanting to uh, ask Fiona to get married anyway. And after you <laughs> have a near death experience like that, you just think like, yeah, don't want to, life's too short, better hurry things uh, along. So I asked her to marry me. She said yes, which was lovely. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. And Has yeah, the wedding we a... happened? Uh, no, because uh, of all this uh, lockdown and then... COVID um, and pandemic. COVID, pandemic. Ruining your wedding plans. Everything, yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, well, all the best for the big day when it comes oh, around. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, back on that cardiac arrest day, have any memories come back since of that day? Yes. I think around maybe six or seven months after the cardiac arrest, Fiona was pregnant at the time and we went to these NCT classes. Therefore, uh, parents that are about to give birth and mm -hmm. just kind of guidelines on, you know, how to change nappies. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but what, one of the classes was on baby CPR, you know, how to resuscitate your baby if they're choking or not breathing and, I mean, you know, all of these things, or, or if their heart suddenly stopped. Mm. And we're going through this class and we're, you know, we've got these um, dolls that we're practicing on. And then all of a sudden, um, the the person who was running the class said that you might hear an animalistic groan come out of your baby that is essentially life has left a bit like all the air everything has come out of your baby and it it will make this sound mm. and that triggered uh something in my head which was you know ever since i came out of a uh, hospital i always had this uh noise this animalistic groan in my head which i couldn't pinpoint where it was but after going to this um, NCT class, then I, then I realized, yeah, this must have been me um, on the day that I had my cardiac arrest, like, you know, basically my life leaving my body and I made this groan and it was really loud in my head. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, that's the only thing I have. This might be a silly question, Ripon. How important is it for people to know CPR? really important <laughs> really really important well you're here yeah i'm talking here. to me yeah i i am here because of cpr mm. i am not only am i here my daughter who's who's 15 months uh tomorrow is here because i'm here and it's all because of cpr it's all because of a defibrillator have you ever met the people who saved you that day i haven't i haven't we we tried actually to get in contact with the police I think when I came out of hospital to try and get in contact, but we never heard anything back. Okay. But you know um, that it was a an off-duty GP and, a, and an off-duty police officer? I know it was a, a the GP was a lady and the off-duty police officer was a man, yeah. Okay. And you got that information from the police? Yeah. Okay. If you had the chance to meet them, what would you say? <laughs> I mean, I'd burst into tears, firstly, just hug them and... I mean, I, I don't even know if it's just, I don't even know how much I could possibly thank them. I, I don't even know, I don't even think this word, thank you, those two words are enough to describe how 
grateful I am for what they've done for me or my family. You know, my 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 eldest daughter has a dad. My youngest daughter was born as a result. Yeah, my my mum, my dad still have a son. So if anyone listens to this podcast and uh, is a GP or a police officer and did CPR and ran to get a defib on November 6, 2018 outside McDonald's in Highbury and Islington Station, get in touch with the British Heart Foundation and we can introduce you to Ripon. Yes, please. Well, we've asked the universe. Let's see if the universe comes back, Ripon. Um, yeah. And you're now 39. Yeah. You're a dad of two little girls. Yep. You're going to get married soon. Yep. <laughs> How do you see the future from here? I just live uh, day by day. Honestly, I just live by day by day. I, I think, you know, for anybody uh, listening out there, you know, I, I touched on the fact that my father and I didn't have a very good relationship and now um, it's improved exponentially. If you have any issues with anybody you know you might have a an argument with someone and for whatever reason one person's not saying sorry and all the rest of it and everybody's stubborn and whatnot try just to not be the stubborn one just get in contact with that person say sorry try and atone for any like mistakes that you've done and just have a complete like clear conscience and uh yeah, just have no regrets because honestly, after what happened to me, I, I was in the full full bill of health before my cardiac arrest and it just all of a sudden happened to me and I almost lost my life. And had I have lost my life, I would not have been able to, you know, sort my issues out with my dad. So I just say to everybody out there, just don't be too stubborn. Contact people, phone them, Zoom chat them, whatever you need to do. Just say sorry. They might not accept it, but at least you know you've done it. And then you can just rest easy and then just live each day. You know, not necessarily like it's your last day, just to try and live the happiest day that you can in that day. Like I know we're all in a pandemic and um, quarantine and lockdowns and all the rest of it stuff. But like, um, I think just uh, don't focus on the things that you can't do. Just focus on the things that you can and try and enjoy them and uh, just have a lovely time doing that and just have a really great day. You'll just go to sleep better and then hopefully you'll wake up the next morning and you'll still feel good <laughs> and try and do it again. Well, Ripon, you've put a smile on my face and uh, <laughs> it feels like I've been in a bit of a therapy session here. Um, <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. With that, Ripon, thank you very much for talking with me and um, I wish you all the very best. Oh, you're welcome, Bill. Thank you very much for this. Ripon was one of the 30,000 people to have an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest each year in the UK, and he probably wouldn't be here if those two strangers hadn't have stopped, called 999 and started CPR. Only 1 in 10 people survive an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, but doing CPR with a defibrillator can, in some cases, more than double the chance of survival. So, if you want to learn CPR, which I think you should, You'll find all the information and easy to follow videos on the How You Can Help page of our website, bhf.org.uk. And during the COVID pandemic, remember, just do chest compressions, no rescue breaths. It's all laid out clearly on the website. 
And if you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, call the BHF's Heart Helpline to speak with a nurse between 9 to 5 on Monday to Fridays on 0300 330 3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. You'll also find useful information in the episode notes on what the BHF is doing to improve access to defibrillators around the UK. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes.